A few years ago, we'd taken our camper van on a camping trip up the west coast of Scotland. Um, ultimately, we were aiming uh, for uh, Stornoway on the, uh, the island of Lewis, uh, right up in the far north. Um, and we'd wound our way up, stopping at various places. Uh, and, and we'd stopped over for a couple of nights on the island of Skye uh, before getting the ferry uh, across to Lewis and Harris. And the day before we were due to travel, this huge storm hit the West Coast. It was the tail end of some hurricane that had blown across uh, the Atlantic, uh, but it was still fearsome. Most of the energy had gone. It was no longer a hurricane, but it was a, but it was a massive storm. So massive, in fact, that the day before we were due to travel, as we battle through literally horizontal uh, rain, uh, the ferries from Skye to Harris had been cancelled. Uh, this rarely happens. The ferries are built to cope with rough seas. But this storm was so intense that the ferries ha had been cancelled. And we were anxiously checking as to whether uh, the crossings for the following day were also going to be cancelled or whether they would run as normal. Well, we were fortunate and the ferries the following day, the day we were booked to travel, were actually running. Uh, but the seas were still far from calm. And yet, as the ferry moved out of the harbour, uh, as it began uh, to make its way into the open seas, out came the stabilisers. This was a big ship with stabilisers, ships built with stabilisers so that they can ride the stormy seas. And the crossing seemed to us to be perfectly smooth because of the stabilisers on the ship, a stabilising influence in the storm. And stability is something that is much sought after in all areas of human life, isn't it? We all desire to live in stable societies. And here in the UK, uh, we have been very blessed uh, to have had a relatively stable society for many decades now. Uh, and yet I would suggest that is far from the norm. Indeed, even today, uh, around the world, that is not the norm for many society people and societies. There is upheaval. Uh, there is uh, chaos in, in societies. And throughout the ages, it has been far from the norm of human experience. Governments seek to provide stability. They might often talk about, particularly at times like this, stabilising the economy. And perhaps, um, certainly once upon a time, we would admire individuals who had a stable personality, a stable character, who had stable convictions. They would be seen as admirable, someone to look to because of that stability uh, in their lives. But the storms of life are an ever-present reality. And to be in a period of calm is perhaps not the norm of human experience. It might be pandemic, it might be war, it might be uh, financial turmoil or challenge. 
uh, or it might be smaller scale. It might be in our relationships. It might be just in the, the daily pressure and toil of life, large scale and small scale. But these storms are ever present. We feel battered and assailed by the winds that surround us and we seek stability. And the New Testament uh, identifies three winds, if you like, or three types of winds that constitute these uh, storms. And it exhorts and calls us to stand firm against these winds. And the first of these winds is physical in nature. It's oppression. It's persecution. And Paul was writing about that in the first chapter of this second letter to Thessalonians that we're looking at today. He acknowledged that the, that the young believers in Thessalonica were under persecution because they had taken a stand. They were standing firm against the prevailing currents of the society in which they lived. So the first wind, physical oppression, persecution. The second wind is intellectual in nature. It batters our mind. And what Paul has here in mind is that of false teaching. It's a false basis for our lives. It's not true. It's not good. So the second is intellectual, false teaching, false understanding, a false basis for our lives. And the third one, which Paul touches a little bit on chapter three, which we'll move on to next week, is moral in nature. It is the temptation that assails us and draws us towards sin. And we may trip and fall and find ourselves entangled and ensnared as that wind blows us over and we fall into wrong behaviour, wrong patterns of behaviour, and they hold us captive. So physical, intellectual, moral, three wins. And John Stott describes the background in writing to, about the background to this second letter to the Thessalonians in these words. He says, behind these winds lurks the enemy of God and of the people of God, the devil, who is responsible for mounting this threefold attack, physical, persecution, intellectual, false teaching and moral temptation to sin. Moreover, this onslaught in its three dimensions will come to a crescendo and climax when Antichrist will be revealed. For he will inaugurate a time of unparalleled anarchy. Hell will break loose and many will be swept away by the gale of terror and evil. And we were thinking about that last week as we were thinking about the climax of the end of the Bible's story, the end of this age. The story clearly continues beyond the end of this age into the next age. But, but most of what we have comes to an end at the end of this age. And as we get to the end of the age, as John Stott says here, anarchy will increase. False teaching will abound. 
there will be uh, a great uh, deception and delusion. Paul writes uh, that, as we read last week in verse 9 of chapter 2, uh, the one who's coming, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness. And he goes on to say, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. There is delusion. There is deception. And this was a recurring theme of the New Testament, both from Jesus himself, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and from the apostolic writers, 1 Timothy 4, Timothy 3, and chapter 4, uh, Peter's second letter, chapters 2 and 3, to name just some. We haven't got time to look into all of those, but it was a recurring theme. There will be deception and delusion, and it will increase as we move towards the end of the age. And there is great concern. There is concern in Paul's heart as he writes to the Thessalonians that some, maybe even many, will fall away. As he writes to Timothy, we see the same idea. Paul says that many will be deceived and fall away. There will be a great apostasy and falling away, falling away from truth. And so we pick up at verse 13. How does Paul address this? How does he deal with it? And he begins by repeating what he wrote right at the beginning of the letter. He repeats essentially chapter 1 verse 3 and in verse 13 he is here he says, but we should always give thanks to God for you brothers beloved by the Lord. We should always give thanks to, for, to God for you my dear brothers, he writes. Paul gives thanks for their calling by God. He says, you were chosen. God has chosen you from the beginning. And God is at work in their lives because faith, love and hope are abounding. We read in chapter one, faith, love and hope are abounding. God is at work. They have been saved and they are being sanctified. They are being made more holy, more like Jesus by the Holy Spirit. God is at work in their lives. And Paul goes on to say, and because God has chosen and called you. So he will bring you home, he says to the Thessalonians, he will bring you home safely in the end. And there is a calling on your life. You have been called by the gospel that was proclaimed to you by Paul. And they are called to share in Christ's glory. So he begins by thanking God for the Thessalonians and all that is happening in their lives. And then he continues with an appeal in verse 15. He says, so then, brothers, stand firm. And this is perhaps not what we might have expected. If we're honest, perhaps what we might have said was, you've been saved by God, God is sanctifying you, he's making you more like Jesus, he's going to take care of you, 
He's going to watch over you. He's going to bring you safely home in the end. Therefore, you can relax and take it easy. You are safe in God's hands. But Paul says the very opposite. He says, don't relax. Brace yourselves. You're in a storm, remember? The storm isn't over. The winds are still blowing. You need to brace yourselves against the storm. Don't lie down and fall asleep. You need to stand firm. It's a double exhortation in verse 15. Stand firm and hold to. Hold on. Stand firm and hold to. So what are they, we, called to hold to? Well, let's hear most translations translate that uh, word as traditions. Now, traditions can be anything. Traditions might be that we put tinsel up at Christmas or we put lights on the front of our house. Um, so there's perhaps a bit more to it than merely the things that we've always done and we keep on doing, even if we perhaps don't even know why we're doing them. The word that Paul uses here is a word that really talks about teachings, things that you have been taught, things that you have learnt. Uh, a literal translation might be hold to the truth which you have received and which you must faithfully pass on. It's a continuous dynamic. There is this truth. There is this understanding that you have received, that has been given to you, that you have grasped, that you have made your own. And your duty, your calling, is then to pass that on faithfully to others. It reaches into the past and it stretches, <coughs> excuse me, into the future. In this case, in the case of the Thessalonians, this was Paul's own teaching. It was received from God and passed on to the Thessalonians, <clears throat> both orally, as he taught them when he was with them in the first instance. As we read, it, we read in Acts 17. And then, subsequently, in writing, through his letters, First and Second Thessalonians. <clears throat> so it's Paul's teaching received from God and passed on to the church in Thessalonica. For us, it is the original teachings of Jesus and the apostles. It is what's been passed on to us through God's word in the Bible that has been taught by successive generations of Bible teachers, which we have received and which is our solemn duty to pass on faithfully to others. So it's not the traditions, the later traditions of the church. It's not the things that have been added and built on top. Yes, there have been many gifted and wise teachers through the centuries and today. But ultimately, it is the words of Jesus and the apostles on which we stand. So the first question then becomes, are we taking responsibility for our own learning and our own understanding? <clears throat> How well 
Do I really know the scriptures? Not just some, but all. Not just some of the teaching, but all of the teaching. Not just picking out the bits that get me through the day, but understanding the big picture. And am I faithful to that teaching? What are my sources? It might be books. We might go to favourite authors. But do I read widely? Do I compare different authors? Do I try and weigh different arguments? Or do I always go to my favourite authors who say what I probably already believe and confirm me in that? Same is true of teachers. It might be teachers in local churches. It might be through conferences, conference speakers. It might be online blogs, podcasts. We are inundated with sources of so-called wisdom. And some of it is really, really very good and helpful and insightful. But how do we discern? And so that prompts the question, is the Bible primary or secondary? You know, is my understanding actually consistent with what Jesus taught, what the apostles taught? Or is it more likely to be shaped by the last book that I read or the last podcast that I listened to? Am I looking through the telescope the right way or the wrong way? And how alert am I to false teaching? In Acts chapter 17, we read that after Paul and Silas left the Thessalonica, after they were run out of town, they went just a little way down the road to a town called Berea. And Paul and Silas spent some time there teaching, as they had done uh, in Thessalonica. Uh, and we read that uh, those in Berea were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness. And here's the point. It said, they examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They didn't just take what Paul and Silas said on trust because they were great speakers. Um, you know, they were celebrities uh, in the, on the Christian conference circuit. No, they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Do we do the same? So it's our personal responsibility. But then also we note that Paul's appeal in verse 15 is made to the brothers, plural. We need to be learning and growing together in the community of God's people. It's so easy for us to be misled, to misinterpret if we simply try and do it on our own. Yes, we draw on the wisdom of, of other teachers, but the primary place we're called is the community of God's people, which is the church. We wrestle with things together. We examine the scriptures together that we might come to a fuller and deeper understanding of the truth that is revealed there, the truth that is passed on to us and which we want 
would want to be found faithful in passing on to others. So to conclude, in a world of fake news, in a world where everyone seems to believe they are an expert in practically everything, in a world where many voices are shouting, are clamouring for our attention, how will we decide what is true and what is right? Where will we find stability? Will we hold firm to the teachings that we have received, the teachings of Jesus and of the apostles? Will we learn to separate that from everything that has been built around it, to use the other stuff as a guide, but always to return to the origins, to examine the scriptures daily, to see if these things are true? Will we build our lives on the rock of ages, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate teacher? This same Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth and the life.